My name is Eric Ruby. Alongside me, as always, an all-star every day of the week, not just this weekend, Carson Breber. Carson, we're at all-star weekend. It seems like only a few weeks ago, but really a few months ago, that this NBA season was kicking off, and we were wondering what's going to happen, and then this has been thrown in the mix, and we're here, and surprise, surprise, it starts off with some COVID-positive tests with some of the all-stars Embiid and Simmons out of the all-star game, out of contact tracing with a barber. Zion Williamson going to step in and get the start for Embiid. Carson, your thoughts? Are you surprised? Are you still excited for this all-star weekend? Does this change everything or is it kind of expected? I think that this is basically what we talked about when we were both saying that we didn't want to even attempt an all-star game this year, the risk was never worth the reward because the reward really isn't all that great from a league's perspective. There's obviously revenue still just because of the TV audience that you're going to draw, but is it going to be a really excited TV audience? Is it going to be a bunch of players who are enthused? No. And it's just not worth the, risk that you take in jeopardizing the season every time that another player contracts the virus or potentially contracts the virus. And like I said previously, when you're talking about playing out a full season, obviously that is a risk that you have to take to ultimately get to the playoffs, to name a champion, all of that. We do not need an all-star game. It's not going to be a particularly good all-star game, I wouldn't expect. And I don't love the all-star game to begin with. And this also could have been a really nice break for players, like an actual break, not an all-star break where you go to Atlanta and you still have to partake in these competitions or play in these games where they could have maybe had a bit of a reset period during what is obviously a grueling season, but that was not the case. Instead, we're sort of forcing this upon them and I'm not even very excited for it. So obviously it's not like Simmons and Embiid getting COVID is going to shut down the season because we have had many cases before and they have weathered the storm repeatedly, but it's just... If that sets back the Sixers even a couple games, like if it turns out they are positive and then they have to go through the quarantine period, then we're going to look back at this and say, why did we cause another delay to the season just so we could watch a meaningless all-star game? And I would be disappointed by that. Yeah, it, it's just kind of tough because we're at the point where it's like, we're here, you know, like yeah. it's, it's, it's going to happen. Like uh, James Harden just had his media availability this morning. He said that the all-star game was kind of thrown onto them, which is, pretty true because this was something that wasn't even supposed to happen uh, when the season started. But I guess my, like, my question is expectations for tonight are obviously low Carson, but are we going to get some highlights? Do you think some of the young guys maybe will step out there? Zion, Zach Levine, maybe the dunk contest guys are going to try a little bit harder just because there hasn't been that, uh, that push for them to like, Oh my God, we're excited to see Cassius Stanley, Anthony Simons and Obi Toppin in the dunk contest, do you feel like some people are going to come into it and put a lot of effort or are we just going to get like an overall low effort? No, I think absolutely. Some dudes are going to put their best foot forward because if you look at guys who are there for their first time, I don't know if Julius Randall ever expected to be an all-star Zion obviously is perfectly suited to play and be thrilling in a game like this. Levine as well is obviously kind of a human highlight reel. So I expect to see those guys try. And as you mentioned, when you're a fringe NBA player like Cassius Stanley at this point in his career, obviously as a rookie, 
key. When you can put on a national stage like this, I'm sure he's going to go all out. Anthony Simons, I'm sure as well. Obi as well, because you have an opportunity to sort of establish a brand there. But when we're talking about the 10-year veterans, dudes who have been in the All-Star game time and again, I don't think that we see some of their best effort. And I guess the only potential saving grace could be the Elam ending this year, just because last year we saw, obviously, it's not like the All-Star game was all that different through the first three quarters, but then the ending was actually very exciting. So maybe we could get that again this year, but I'm not overly optimistic. Yeah, I guess the Elam ending was cool last year. It it brought a nice little element, but again, people were trying hard. And if it's just a blowout and somebody gets ahead in the fourth quarter, then the Elam's not really going to be that big of a deal. Before we get into some official predictions for the weekend, we should mention Devin Booker also out for injury replacement, banged up his knee in the game before the All-Star break. And lo and behold, finally, the, the world celebrates, NBA Twitter celebrates, Mike Conley making his first All-Star game. Did he deserve it? Because a lot of people feel like maybe DeMar DeRozan could have slid into that spot instead of Conley. Well, I wouldn't put DeRozan in there. I would 100% put SGA in there. I think that the season that he is having, and yes, obviously, it's not in a winning context because he's playing on a team that a lot of us expected to be among the bottom three in basketball and the Thunder have overachieved largely because of SGA's development as a scorer and as a playmaker. He's putting up 23, five and six on 51, 41, 79 splits. And obviously has all the same weapons. He always has the change in pace that is lethal. The finishing around the rim is continually improving as a jump shooter off the dribble and is continually improving as a more traditional point guard. Whereas last year we saw him really off ball more. Now he's facilitating at a high level. So I love Conley. I am happy that he got this nod. Do I think he deserved it? I do not. And he's playing so much better than last year, but he was really a misfit in that Utah system. And he's been really good. I just personally don't think that he's the player SGA is at this point. I would take him over to Rosen. I think he's just so much easier to slide into a winning context. And his two-way contributions are there. His ability to produce both on and off the ball is absolutely there. And Utah's doing some incredible stuff. But to me, what SGA is doing is harder, more impressive, And the raw production is better. The efficiency is better. I think the defense when he's locked in is as good. Now he's not always locked in, but I just think he had the stronger case all around, but I'm not going to sit here and just ruin what is a very exciting accomplishment for Mike Conley because it's so well-deserved. Yeah. And it does feel like, you know, Adam Silver definitely picked Mike Conley as like the legacy award. Uh, not that he's having a bad season by any means, but I would go SGA, but I would also go DeRozan just because I feel like he's not getting enough credit for how much of a jump his playmaking has taken this year. And he's fit into that Spurs system and Spurs are in the playoffs, you know, and they don't have a, a representative and sure their team is kind of weird and has the veteran guys and the young guys and they're playing together and it's, it's going well, but DeRozan's had a really, really good season. Conley, yeah, he, he's fine. He's he's better than I thought he was going to be at the beginning of the season. I thought he was going to replicate what he did the season before. Obviously, that's not the case. He's come in and been an extremely uh, positive contribution to the best team in the NBA record-wise. But I still, I still don't think that he deserved the All-Star nod this year. And I don't know, man. Some people are talking about it might be better legacy-wise to be the best player to never make an All-Star game mm-hmm. than to be the guy who randomly made one like uh, a Mo Williams or, or, or something like that, because as, as good as Mike Conley was before, like now we're going to look at him. Okay. He kind of made it in when he didn't deserve it. Right. Do you think that maybe it would have been better 
and talking about Mike Conley's career, which is probably not going to be like a hot topic of debate for years after he retires. But do you feel like might have been better legacy wise if he just kind of kept this biggest snub career wise in all star game history? It's an interesting question because it definitely is a distinctive title to hold. And I don't really know. I feel like we sort of need to have the perspective of being a few years later. At the end of the day, though, it doesn't fundamentally change who he was as a player, but maybe it does make him less memorable because you're right. There are plenty of one-time All-Stars out there. There are very few guys who have been as good for 15 years as Conley has and never gotten that nod. At the same time, though, I'm so confident that on a personal level, he is thrilled to have finally gotten that recognition just because making the all-star game as a Western conference guard has been impossible for a decade. Plus it is just ridiculous. The talent that he has had to go up against and obviously could have been a multiple time all-star out East and has contributed to winning for his entire basketball career, basically, and is now contributing to the best team he's ever been on. So I think it's the best all in all. Now, again, I am personally a fan of viewing these things in a vacuum and saying, who is the most deserving? I'm sorry. I'm not really going to prioritize emotional value. And so I would take SGA, but the emotional value is still obviously there and good for a guy who has been so good for so long. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any hate there. Just recognition that it probably wasn't solely based off of his play. Um, we mentioned it earlier, obviously the dunk contest, three young guns, Cassius Stanley, Obi Toppin, Anthony Simons, three point contest, all All-Stars as well. Mike Conley slotting in for Devin Booker in that. So let's jump into some official predictions, Carson. The young guys, is there going to be a big man jumping in and maybe winning the uh, the dunk contest for the first time in a really long time? Maybe clear that Aaron Gordon hurdle of that big man who's got hops or or one of these young guards who has got that vertical going to jump in and, uh, and take that contest? I honestly think think it's going to be Cassius Stanley. And I think that oftentimes the most dangerous candidates in the all-star games are the guys who are sort of on the fringes of a roster and they get injected in there just because they are exceptional at dunking. I look back at a Derek Jones Jr. When he was first thrown in the mix, obviously has come a long ways as a player since then. But at that point was basically exclusively an athletic freak. And he obviously goes out and puts on quite a show. And I just don't know how astounded I am by the candidates this year as a whole. I love Anthony Simons. I've never seen him do anything particularly creative as a dunker. He's posterized a couple dudes and is definitely a great athlete, but that doesn't always convert to being able to pull out 360s and windmills and all that. Obi has definitely done some flashy stuff, so he's an interesting candidate. I think it probably comes down to those two. Could be any of them, but I'm going to take Cassius. Yeah, I think that Cassius should be the favorite if there was Vegas betting odds, and, and I roll with the favorite as well. Uh, he's 44 inch vertical at the, uh, at the draft combine. Uh, he set the Duke max vertical jump record. And I don't know if you remember, but there was a player at Duke the year before named Zion Williamson. That guy could jump pretty high. So he broke that record. So we should expect some pretty crazy stuff. And yeah, I mean, he's, he's bouncing between G league and, and the actual roster. So he'll, he'll have some motivation to do it. And with the three point contest, there's one person that I'm looking at that I think has the most motivation. And that's Zach Levine, because he could easily be participating in the dunk contest as well. He could continue to put on a show, win another championship, maybe get some more 50s, but he is going to be, or try to be, the first ever person to win the three-point shootout and the dunk contest. So my pick would have been Devin Booker before, but I'm going Zach Levine out of a field with some good shooters, Steph Curry, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Mike Conley, and Donovan Mitchell. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Steph Curry because he's the greatest shooter of all time by far. But Levine hot take might be my second. Yeah, Levine is probably my second pick out of the field, though, and is a ridiculously effective shooter. And I think that just sort of picking balls off of a rack is going to favor him as compared to Steph, because obviously Steph is the greatest shooter off the dribble of all time. Levine has been absurd off the catch this year, and that's basically what you're replicating here. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar. So he'd probably be my second guy, but no way am I going to bet against Steph. I mean, here's the thing with Steph. Yes, he is the greatest shooter ever. No arguments here. We'll not even try to debate that. But he's not the greatest three-point contest shooter of all time. He's competed quite a few times. I think the number is seven, and he's only won one of them. So maybe it doesn't translate as much. I don't think I'll ever blame you for putting money on Steph Curry in a shooting competition. But another name that I'm looking at, because I, I can see most of these guys catching fire and just somehow hitting a ton in a row. I think that's just where we're at as a league. But Jalen Brown, I feel like Jalen Brown is just somebody who wants to continue to get better and master everything that he does. And he's been he's become such a better shooter than I think most people expected him to be already that I could see him taking this pretty seriously and going out there and, and really trying to make some noise. Yeah, Jalen would honestly probably be last out of all these guys for me just because he has been on a real cold streak shooting as of late. And obviously, this is a different format. You're literally just shooting a ball in a vacuum. But he shot under 31% in the month of in the month of February, and that's over 13 games. So I'd say he's the guy who I trust the least. But it could be any of them. The three-point contest can be pretty random sometimes. And uh, I do have one question I'm going to throw out to you and just randomly because we didn't plan on it before. But in these two contests that we've seen a lot of different iterations of it, the dunk contest especially, remember last year with the Mountain Dew three-point contest, they moved it back and, and did some deep shots. Are there any tweaks or small changes you would make to maybe make it more entertaining? I would say maybe throw one off the dribble element into there. And I don't know how that would work with the timing and everything, but, or maybe just like, make one of the racks you have to shoot only step backs. I don't know, something that would maybe mix it up a little bit more. Ultimately, I think the three-point contest is cool. I think that it sort of does what it is marketed to do, but maybe throw that off the dribble element in there just because obviously some of the greatest shooters of all time aren't just the straight-up best off the catch. Like James Harden is one of the greatest shooters of all time, even if he obviously isn't going to shoot 40 plus percent off the catch every single year because he has a shot that really nobody else can replicate at that level. Maybe makes him a stronger candidate if he were to participate. So I don't know. That would be the thing that I sort of think of. I, I'm kind of thinking, what if we made the just the the hoop, like the rim itself, a little bit smaller? And just made it enough to be a little like like a little bit more precise know because it, it's open or whatever and kind of have to go more for a swish than be able to to hit the okay. rim and move around here's what i say make them double rims so they can oh. feel the brutality of a kid on a playground and they have to be precise i guarantee you steph have, is winning then yeah they should have done it you know with covid and everything instead of doing it in an arena they should have just found a local park in atlanta that still has the rims out there and uh mm. just said have fun guys go crazy you know go back mm. to your old days and uh one last all-star game prediction. I mean, we have to go to the actual game itself, even though I think we can both agree it'll probably be the least entertaining thing to happen uh, on this Sunday night. But two predictions from you, Carson. One, who's that all-star game MVP? Because it does seem to be somebody new almost every single year. And two, what unexpected highlight do you think we're going to see? Because last year, I don't know if you remember, but we got a Chris Paul dunk. 
Are we going to maybe mm-hmm. get another CP3 jam this year, or is there something else that uh, you're thinking maybe could be a surprise uh, highlight that make you go, whoa, I'm actually glad I watched that live? Okay, so as far as the MVP, I think there's a few really good candidates. I honestly think the top two guys in my mind are the top two MVP candidates in Jokic and Embiid. And actually, I don't know why I said that. I'm taking Jokic out of there. No way Jokic cares about an all-star game. He's just not wired that way. In years past, it's been tough to even get him to care about the regular season. So I think Embiid Embiid is a guy. Oh, right. So you know what? Great choices by me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say Luka Doncic is the guy who I would take out of there just because, I don't know, I feel like he's a younger guy out of the field, may have a little more motivation than the pack. And when I look around at the starters, Maybe Bradley Beal just tries to go crazy on him, but I'm going to go with Luca. And then as far as the unexpected highlight, I have no idea, obviously, but I would expect we see a Ben Simmons three. I feel like he's going to try to shoot six or seven if he has to, just because obviously he's looking for that highlight moment. And I think that he probably knocks one of them down. Carson, I hate to break it to you, man. And I hate to do it with two players in a row. Oh, but Ben Simmons is also God. not like in the All-Star game. Wow. I forgot about that. <laughs> Woo! We are on a roll. Okay. It's the All-Star game, man. We're mailing in it as well. The players are mailing it in. I was even going to bring it up. I forgot to even talk about the skills contest, man. I mean, it's just, it's a disaster yeah. right now. All right. Now, you know I mean, what? It's the NBA All-Star weekend during COVID. <laughs> I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to say we see... A Kyrie Irving big time dunk. I was gonna He's say playing. Kyrie as well. I think we're gonna see a crazy Kyrie dunk, or maybe like a Giannis beyond the free throw line dunk. Like I know that a free throw line dunk is probably normal for Giannis, but maybe he clears somebody again. Maybe he jumps over Chris Paul or Kyrie or Mike Conley. Yeah, or like a KD forty footer or a book thirty five footer. Get it? Because well, neither hey, of them are playing. I hate to break it to you, Carson. Um, and I guess I, we do have to show a little bit of love for the uh, the skills contest. Uh, Luka Doncic, Chris Paul, Julius Randle, Damanis Bonas, Nikola Vucevic, and then Robert Covington, who's the only NBA alumnus from an HBCU. He went to Tennessee State, which is why he is in this. We don't need to break it down. Who do you think is winning? And then we can move on. <laughs> I'm going to go, weirdly enough, Julius Randall. I think he's kind of got all the tools to do it. And yeah, maybe CP3 or Luca makes more sense, but we've seen big guys win it before. And so I'll go unorthodox. I think I'm going to go Chris Paul. I'm just going to go super orthodox. I don't see him competing in this if he didn't really want to win it. Uh, so he, I think he wants to kind of make his, his presence known. And then my prediction for All-Star Game MVP, I think it's going to be honest. Usually some of the greatest players, those guys were in the MVP conversation. Kawhi got it last year. They jump out there and they get that All-Star Game MVP. I think he's the perfect combination of the talent uh, and he's going to be trying hard. I don't really see Giannis mailing it in. Um, But anyway, let's talk about some real basketball, Carson, because the all-star game is all fun and great in regular years this year. Obviously we've made our opinion known about it, but we've got some real actual basketball to talk about. And the NBA season is about halfway over. We are a significant chunk. And instead of going in and breaking down who is your going to, who's your MVP, who's your sixth man of the year, we're just going to take a little bit of a bigger look at the league itself. If you do want to hear Carson's picks for that, you can check out Nerd Sesh again. Follow him at Carsobi on Twitter. He posts all about that. So you can get all of Carson's beautiful breakdown of predictions for that. If you're like, what, why? I want to hear why Nicole Jokic is the MVP for the 2000th time. You can go ahead and jump over there. But Carson, looking back at the first half of the season, whether it is a player, whether it is a team, I want to know the most surprising in two ways. The most surprising is the disappointing and the non-disappointing. 
who is it for you? Who are the two either teams or players that stand out? Okay, so I'll start positive. It is far and away the New York Knicks who are currently the five seed out east. They're 19 and 18. And obviously it's not pretty basketball to this day, but they're a top two defense in the league. Randall has taken the leap to the point where their offense is competent enough to win games. Now it's still not good offense and the pieces around him are very not good on that end. And there are times where he still does some questionable stuff, but he's been really good for the most part. And this Knicks defense is just phenomenal. And I think you give all the credit in the world to Tibbs for that, because it's not like a bunch of guys have taken huge leaps offensively outside of Randall. It's just the collective defensive effort. The fact that they muck up the game, they play slow, they play physical and they give constant effort. And I thought they were going to be the worst team in basketball because that's what they played like last year. And I didn't think that they had gotten any better. And then they got a lot better. So they're the most surprising for me on the positive end. And then as far as disappointment, I think I would have to go with the Boston Celtics, even though they're starting to figure it out a bit as of late. I just think the other early season candidates, like at the beginning of the year, the Nuggets were struggling. They have been exceptional ever since their first eight games or so. And even if there are some close games that they haven't gutted out, I think that they're going to continue to play better and better. The Mavs, again, started really slow, but have been on a tear since they got healthy. Lucas playing the best he's ever played, so I can't pick them. So I'm going to go with the Celtics just because you always expect them to have that elite team defense. They haven't been able to do that. You expected Kemba to be an all-star level guy on offense. He has not been close to that and is still really just showing a lot of tentativeness, trying to get downhill to the rim, is super reliant on his jump shot right now. And I just think their depth has been lackluster this year. And they're relying on guys to play heavy minutes who just aren't all that good as compared to years past. So I thought they were a team that could maybe have finals potential. They weren't my pick, but they probably would have been my second pick to the Nets in the preseason. And uh, now I cannot put them in that tier at all, even though they're still the four seed, but they're 19 and 17 because the East just top to bottom hasn't been that good this year. Yeah. And, and that's going to lead right into my disappointment because it's not a specific team, but it's the entirety of the Eastern conference. Like you're saying, I, as long with you with Boston thought that they should be in the echelon of teams like Philadelphia, like Brooklyn, or even Milwaukee, as they've started to separate themselves from the pack a little bit as well as these, okay, yes, maybe they're not all the number one title contenders, but they're clearly a different level from everybody else in the East. But from four to 12 (laughs) to 11, it's super, super close. And really anything can happen. Everybody's in the playoff race and it, it just kind of sucks because The East has obviously not been anywhere near the West for the last couple of years, but going into the season, I really did not think it was going to be this bad. And of course you have teams like Miami and Toronto who have dealt with some injuries or just some COVID protocols here and there as well that have maybe lent themselves to having a worse record. But overall the East has just been super, super disappointing. Hopefully they could turn that around. And I think they do have a chance to turn that around. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo hopefully being healthy and that Heat team being more complete. New York being a winning team is obviously a huge surprise. That is a one of the few surprise positives in the Eastern Conference this year. Um, but for my biggest positive surprise, I mean, you can call me a homer all you want, man, but it's the Phoenix freaking Suns. I mean, if we talked at the beginning of the season and I told you that the Suns had the second best record in the NBA and it didn't seem like a fluke at this point, you probably wouldn't believe me because we were talking about Phoenix being good. We were talking about them being a playoff team. You know, obviously I was pretty high on them, but I wouldn't have expected this either. 
And people were probably thinking, all right, somewhere between the seven and the four seed is probably where they're going to be sitting. But overall, the team basketball that's been played has been absolutely incredible. Their top five offense, top top five defense. Uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, even themselves, haven't like gone nuclear. It doesn't seem like they're being carried by any specific individual team performance. Just as a whole, their bench is one of the best, if not the best units in the NBA, especially plus minus wise. They have basically... 13 playable players on that roster that can go into the rotation on any given night and you're not really pushing it. And they still seem like they have space to grow. So out of everybody that I'm looking at, I don't know if I, if really any other team besides the New York Knicks have exceeded expectations like the Suns. And I think part of the reason why we see the Knicks as these huge overachievers is because the people that they're overachieving around are not doing too well. Like we said with the Eastern Conference. They're all around 500. The Suns are an incredibly tough Western Conference with a lot of teams who have at least a 600 winning percentage, other teams that are overperforming like Portland, and teams that are like San Antonio who are still 18 and 14 are still within the playoff race, and even your guys in Denver who have been playing a lot better from the beginning of the season. They've played tough competition. They've played every single one of their players, but they've had some injuries, some uh, hurdles and, and bumps along the way as well, but they find themselves at 24 and 11 above the Lakers, above the Clippers going into the all-star break. I think that's a pretty big surprise. It's not the number one surprise in basketball to me though. I literally thought the Knicks were going to win 14 games this year and they have won 19 at the all-star break. And the Suns were a team that I really wanted to bet on more than I did. And I was basically completely tied up between them, the Blazers and the Jazz who I ended up having in the five through seven slots and the reason that I couldn't put them as a top four team in my preseason predictions was just, I wasn't sure what we were going to get from the surrounding pieces. I wasn't sure if Aiton would take a leap. I wasn't sure what level we would get from guys like Cam Johnson and a bench unit that certainly had played well together even last year, but maybe the talent didn't stack up to some other ones. And I never questioned the contributions of Book and CP. But what we've seen, obviously, is as you mentioned, the role guys have excelled time and again. And Bridges is on a different level from last year, I would say. Obviously, Cam Johnson's on a different level. The acquisition of Jay Crowder has been helpful, at least on the defensive end, I would say. And so top to bottom, obviously, Sarich is playing well this year. Kaminsky even is playing uncharacteristically well. So, yeah, they're a really, really good team. I think they should be the favorite to win a playoff series. Now, do I think they're the second best team out West? Absolutely not. I'm taking both LA teams over them when it comes to winning time. It's not very difficult for me to say that, but I do think they're firmly the fourth right now just because of the two-way value of the fact that there's not many closers I'm taking over book and CP, either one of them, and you have both of them. And I just think that they have legitimate depth. They're really well coached and they kind of do everything well. So absolutely. They've been impressive. I would just say, I actually did see a world for this to happen, at least at the midway point. Like, again, because I still don't think they're a top two team out West. I just think they have a top two record out West. And I could not see any world in which the New York Knicks would be above 500. So, yeah, but yeah, I agree with enough. you. They, they've been incredibly impressive and are an awesome team. And it is fantastic for the city of Phoenix and the Valley as a whole, because obviously I've seen the suffering that you have all endured just for a little bit. And it's good to see it turn around in such a big way. Nah, man, I really enjoyed watching Shaquille Harrison and Dragon Bender play basketball on a nightly basis. I don't know what you're talking about. Shout out Shaq Harrison. That dude's yes. an athlete, though. No, I, I mean, honestly, he was really fun to watch. I would just, <laughs> you know, he'd be a great bench, deep bench piece on a winning team. I don't need him to be my starting point guard in uh, February. Um, Fair. But we're, we're going to keep it a little bit shorter. Just a couple more questions, you know, before we enjoy this little all-star weekend break. 
that we can't have. Looking forward to the second half of the season, there's, we're going to be able to break down the X's and O's and what's actually going to happen and, and so on and so forth as it goes on in the future. But I want a bold prediction, Carson. I want hot take Carsobi right now, man. I want like an alter ego. You're always by the books. You make well-measured <laughs> takes, very intelligent takes. And trust me, I love them, but it's time to go off the rails. If there's any time to, you know, get a little bit outside the lines when you're coloring, it's during All-Star Weekend. What's a bold prediction you have for the second half of the season? Uh, okay. I'm going to give you a number of sort of takes that I'm just thinking through right now. So I think that for the most part, what we're going to see in the second half of the season is sort of a leveling out of the weirdness that we saw over the first half. Teams like the Heat, the Raptors, who for whatever reason were decimated by injuries in the Heat's case and the Raptors just were having defensive struggles that they've now figured out a bit and they've been great offensively. I think even the Pacers get back to the norm. So I think we see those teams sort of solidify themselves back in the top six, seven spots in this conference, as you would have expected. And I also think out West that the Nuggets and the Mavs are going to continue to surge. They've been playing super well as of late. And I think if they sustain that, I guess my bold take would be, I'm not so sure that the Sixers are going to sustain the level that they've been at. And I think that they probably finish at the three seed, maybe even lower than that, just because offensively, they're still average this year. They have eked out a lot of close wins compared to other teams. Their point differential is eighth best in basketball, whereas their record is third best in basketball. And uh, they have three wins over 500 plus teams. There's a few things that just say, okay, obviously they're really good. They're improved from last year with the additions of obviously a Seth Curry and a Danny Green and the continued progress of Shake Milton. But are they suddenly an absolute contender? We kind of all said that they were, but I'm not actually so sure. I guess the counter would be Embiid is just willing them to so many wins right now that maybe they do sustain it. But I think the Nets and Bucks are playing much better as of late. And I think they're probably both going to surpass Philly. And the Nets have been playing, of course, without Kevin Durant and the Bucks with the majority yeah. of that without Drew Holiday as well. They haven't had fully healthy teams. I like that. I like that. I got a couple. I got a couple that could be maybe pretty hot. I guess you can gauge them and maybe you could rank them hottest right. or coldest. All right. First one, Washington Wizards are going to make the play in. I don't know if that's if that's hot. I think that they've, they've turned around a little bit. They've turned a little bit of a corner. And as much as a cluster the Eastern Conference is, I think they might even out there, I'm not going to go as far as to say they're going to make the straight-up playoffs, but I can see them getting anywhere to even the seventh seed with a nice run. My second hot take, Minnesota's not going to win double-digit games this year. Whoo! That they're is only hot. At, they're only at seven right now. That's that's the hottest one. It's, it's tough. It'll probably happen. They'll probably get to double digits, but, man, it's tough in Minnesota right now. Chris Finch has not won a game uh, since taking over. Uh, I'm sure he's loving the all-star break right now, but the body language is terrible. Like just the play out there, the edges, they don't seem like they care. I feel so bad for cat. Yeah. I think they definitely end up with the worst record. You know what? I'll go. How about they're going to get under 13. I don't think they get as many wins in the second half as they even did in the first half of the season. Okay. And then my third hottest take is that the Phoenix Suns will end up with a better record than the Utah Jazz when it's all said and done. Okay, I don't like that take at all. I <laughs> love the Suns, but the Jazz are insane. And they, to me, even though they've cooled down a little bit, 
have actually established themselves in that true absolute contenders tier that I did not really expect whatsoever before the season and is really tough to do when you just consider the lack of relative star power, even to arguably the Suns, who obviously have two perennial all-stars and so do the Jazz, but it doesn't feel that way just because Gobert isn't that outstanding offensively, although he's far and away the best defensive player in basketball. So I'm going to put that one either two or three because the thing with the Timberwolves one is they are atrocious, but also, and I've talked about this many times before, when Cat plays, they are basically an average team. It just happens to be everyone around him sucks. And when Cat and D'Lo have played together this year, it's only 90 minutes, but they have a positive point differential. And D'Lo will be back at some point. And I do think that that's going to at least help level things out a bit. So I think they probably finished the year better than the Pistons because the Pistons are atrocious as well. And I would say that my favorite out of the group is the Wizards take. They have been playing way better as of late. I'm not convinced that it is sustainable just because I think that their role guys across the board are still kind of underperforming. Like we haven't seen a leap from Rui that I was hopeful for. Troy Brown Jr. has been a non-factor. Obviously, Thomas Bryant out for the season. Bertans is playing a little better as of late, but got off to a rough shooting start to the year. And one of the reasons that the Wizards have been surging as of late is their defense has played at a league average level over the past 10 games or so. And I don't think that they can sustain that. I think their defense is as bad as it's ever been. But just because of the caliber of competition, they can absolutely find their way into that tier. You'd probably only have to surpass the Bulls and the Hawks. I don't think they're as good as either of those teams, honestly. So I'm not going to bet on it. But I think it's the most probable out of those outcomes just because of the willpower of Beal. And when Russ is going, then he obviously can help will you to some wins as well. All right. Let me try to sell you on my highest take then. Let me try to sell you on this jazz take, okay? Okay. It's not necessarily a knock to the Utah Jazz because I do think that they are incredible. I do think that they should be, you know, discussed as a possible championship contender. I don't think that they should be, like, discussed as the favorite to get to the finals. But, yes, they deserve to be in that conversation. However, Utah Jazz hate is at an all-time high right now, not just with the fans, but with the players as well. We saw it in the All-Star draft with LeBron. And KD, they were hating on the Jazz. We saw it right before the All-Star break in the Sixers-Jazz game. The Jazz are now complaining about the refs and the officials, and it's woe is me. Everything is against me. Everything is against me. One, I never think that mindset works out great for people to think, oh, you know, every, all the odds are stacked against us. You know, the NBA hates us. They don't want to see a small market win when, in reality, that game was poorly officiated both ways, and it really wasn't that bad, um, like, to favor one team or the other. But two, I think teams are really going to start giving Utah Utah their 100% effort and energy every single night. I think people want to knock this team off. I don't think that they have really likable superstars within the league. That's why Mitchell and Gobert were picked last. Uh, And so I feel like people legitimately want to beat them, you know? Not like, oh, my God, we hate the Jazz and they're the worst people ever. But I think that now they have a target on their back, not just because they've been playing really well for a long time, but now they're taking the victim card as well. And they're kind of putting themselves out there as easy targets. So I feel like now they're going to come in and and play some of these teams that are like, okay, now we're playing Utah. We're going to go even extra hard to do this. I want to dunk on Gobert. I want to cross over Mitchell and the Suns, They've just continued to get better. Like as the season has gone on, Dario started to starting to play better. Cam Johnson starting to play better. McHale's continuing to take a step. DA is becoming more consistent. Until about a week and a half ago, Chris Paul and Devin Booker did not have a positive net rating when they were both on the court together. 
when it was one or the either one, one or the other, they had a positive, but when they played together, it was not. So this team is still continuing to figure things out and still, I feel like has a lot of room to naturally grow. And the record's not that far. It's 24 and 11 to 27 and nine. So a little skid for the jazz and continuing to win for the Suns. I can see them ending up maybe as like a, a two, three or a three, four uh, at some point. I don't think the Suns will have the best record in the West, but I think it's, it's pretty possible for Utah and Phoenix to be a lot closer in the standings or for Phoenix to even leap that than maybe people are leading on right now. I guess the thing for me is when you talk about people doing whatever they can to knock off the jazz, seeing them as that kind of, you know, obviously what we've seen with the warriors for years where teams try to play their best basketball against them. I just don't know how you take away what the jazz do because on the defensive end, they're going to take away both your high probability threes force you into the paint. And then obviously everything is difficult. Once you get there because of the power of Gobert, you can't change that on the offensive end. They're going to move the ball. They have a variety of dudes who can murder you out of the pick and roll out of isolation. They have probably the best core of shooters that we have ever seen. I would say up with those great warriors teams. I don't know how you take that away. It's not like you key in on one guy. It's everybody around you who is always locked in, who play so well together on both ends and who really just do the things that are most vital to winning basketball. And another thing, that I will say the jazz have the easiest schedule remaining in basketball, the worst winning percentage of the opponents they are left to face. And obviously that is a very fortunate position to be in out West, particularly. So they've already braved the toughest part of their schedule and they came out of it with the best record in basketball. I will say, I don't know if it's fully crazy. I do think the Suns are really good. I just don't really think the jazz are going to come all that much back down to earth. And I don't think that the Suns are going to get that much better than they are right now. Yeah, and maybe I'm maybe I'm just taking away the hotness of this take, but like it's twenty-seven and nine to twenty-four and eleven, and I still think Utah is going to be a really good basketball team. I'm not saying that they're yeah. going to come out here and lose ten straight. However, they've been undeniably the absolute most nuclear team this entire season. Had one of the best winning streaks we've seen in a while. They're only two and a half games ahead. You know, it's really not like they have separated themselves from this incredible margin from this Phoenix team. So I can see just a little bit of regression from Utah, not saying that they end up being bad by any stretch of the means, but you're a uh, contact tracing couple weeks away, you know, and in, in this season, mm-hmm. one injury away and uh, you lose one of your three all-stars and maybe things aren't going the way that you think they're going to be. Uh, going so yeah that, that's what I think it, it, the the first half went so well for Utah it seems like right before the break things started to dip a little bit they're on a two-game losing streak six and four in their last 10 it could be time you know it could be time yeah no I mean it's a hot take so I'm not gonna hold it against you and I will actually re-rank them I'll put this one two I'll put the Timberwolves one three but yeah. I could see all of them happening I think you've done a good job of walking the line of hot take but they're possible I don't think any of them are going to happen, but I think that there is a world in which they all could. The Wizards one maybe a little more so, but yeah, it's possible for all of them. It's it's a line that I walk all the time, so I'm pretty comfortable <laughs> walking that line. Well, Carson, always fun to jump in, and even if it's meaningless, talk the All-Star game, give a couple predictions, give a couple hot takes as well. We've got a lot of basketball coming up the second half of the season. Hopefully, as we get closer to the playoffs, maybe things start clearing up. We less COVID problems. The NBA itself just becomes smoother, more well-run, and we can really just sit there and enjoy basketball because that, at the end of the day, 
is the most important part. So make sure you go ahead and follow Carson on social media at Carsobi. He covers the NBA, the NFL, the freaking college basketball, college football, anything that you can think of. The man covers it in a fun and entertaining fashion. So again, follow him at Carsobi. You can follow me at Twitter at Eric Ruby underscore. Follow the show at the underscore 1v1 show. And of course, subscribe, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts if you're listening there, if you're feeling saucy. And above all else, like I just said, enjoy basketball. This is so true.